The following is a Thunderbolt West Media production. If the grid goes down or there's rolling blackouts, can you beat the heat without electricity? Yes. You are listening to the Living Off-Grid Power and Information Show with Jim Calhoun. The storm was coming, the sky was on fire, fear was in their eyes. Peter cried out, we're all gonna die. It's my opinion that we all should be prepared to lean on our faith and be able to step out on the sea. Thanks for tuning in to the Living Off-Grid Power and Information Show. I'm your host, Jim Calhoun. This show features off-grid topics such as creating your own power, gardening, homesteading, and other issues involved with off-grid living. And from time to time, I'll throw in some political comments as well, because I really do feel that our republic is worth saving. And any chance I have to do that, I take it. My goal I wish to accomplish with this show is to make my listeners self-sufficient and also to help them build their faith in God. This show comes to you from the Harmony Barn Studio, located near Hershey, Nebraska, in the United States of America. This show is aired on KYAH, 540 AM, Delta, Utah, Utah's Talk Authority. It can also be heard on 89.3 FM, Key Radio in Osage Beach, Missouri. And on shortwave, it can be heard on WRMI, Radio Miami International. This show is also a podcast available on demand by these services. Anchor, Spreaker, PodPoint, and PodPage. And I thank you so much for tuning in. And I appreciate you being with me today. And today we're going to talk about beating the heat if we don't have any power. And I know there's lots of people that are really concerned about rolling blackouts and also maybe just the grid going down totally in the middle of summer. And unfortunately, the human condition as of right now is that our bodies are acclimated to air conditioning and to let's just say, an easier style of life than our great-grandparents were. They seem to get by just fine, but we're not them and they're not us. And in a lot of ways, we've progressed, but in a lot of ways, we've regressed. And one of the ways we've regressed is the creature comforts that we enjoy have spoiled us to the point where I'm afraid it's going to be really hard, if not impossible, for some people to be able to survive without air conditioning. So I'm going to talk about different ways that we can beat the heat. And believe me, there's lots of ways we can beat the heat. And I'm going to start out by telling you a little story about the American Civil War of the 1860s. You do realize that 
the soldiers that had uniforms, the uniforms were made out of wool, even in summer. Can you imagine wearing wool in summer, especially in the Shenandoah Valley and all along the east coast there, Appalachia in that area? The humidity, the heat must have been unbearable. And then when you're fighting a war with hand-to-hand combat and also the tactics that they used were very labor-intensive. And so it would be really hard not to work up almost a fatal type of a heat. But yet the soldiers suffered, but they were able to beat the heat. And how did they do that? Well, they did it with applications of water. What they would do is they would take any kind of leaf that was broad and big, and they would wet it down. They would wet their uniforms down. Then they would put those wet leaves inside their hats. They would screw their hat on tight with all those wet leaves. And the wet leaves would stay damp for a long time. And that's called evaporative cooling. And how that works is as the water evaporates, the air around it does cool down. And it does provide some relief. Now, lots of people are aware of swamp coolers, and swamp coolers have the exact same method of operation. As the water evaporates, it cools the air around it, and and if that's fan-forced, you can stand in front of an evaporative cooler in dry climates, and it's almost like having air conditioning. Matter of fact, it is air conditioning. It's just primitive. But the trouble with that is that in humid climates, if you're in any area at all that has humidity, Swamp coolers will bog down, and they'll just add to the humidity. They won't cool anything because the water is not evaporating. And so the water has to evaporate. So some of these methods I'm going to talk about will work just fine in all areas. Some won't work at all, like in the southeastern part of the United States or along the Gulf Coast or in other humid areas around the Great Lakes. It's going to be really hard for any evaporative cooling to really work. But you need to try, and also you need to consider what I'm saying today. It may keep you more comfortable, and it may indeed save your life if we do run out of power and it's 110 degrees out with no wind and no shade. I'm going to start off right now by telling you that I do not have air conditioning in my house. Never have had. And the house that I live in was built by used material in 1895. and so. It was probably another house they tore down, and they moved it on the railroad as the railroad came through, and the people were homesteading this area. And so who knows where the house originally stood or what it looked like. I'm sure they just used the used lumber and built what they wanted to. But I don't have any idea how old the lumber is, but I know that if it's a used house in 1895, it's probably a house out of the 1870s or so, maybe even earlier. But the old house has never had air conditioning. And for the most part, it cools down here at night. And as it cools down, you simply open the window. Whichever way the breeze is blowing, you can open a window and usually catch a breeze and cool your house down enough that you can sleep. But when this house was built, the climate was a little bit different. It was a lot less humid. But over the last 20 to 30 years, this area is much more humid than it used to be in the summer. used to be every summer you'd have five or six days where it would be almost unbearable because of the humidity. Well, that's up to probably 25 or 30 days as of right now. 
And so it's really hard to live in a house without air conditioning in this area, a lot harder than it used to be. And I'm close enough to the Rocky Mountains that every once in a while, I get a little bit of Rocky Mountain cool. I'm several hundred miles away from the mountains, but wind patterns will blow some of that really nice cool mountain air through here at night. And sometimes in the middle of summer, it'll get down to 50 degrees at night, which feels absolutely awesome after a 90 degree day. But it seems like lately in the summer, we've been having a consistent run of 100 to 110 degree days, and it only cools down in the house to about 90 degrees at night. And anybody that's tried to sleep in 90 degree house knows that that's pretty hard to do. And I'm out loading hay and working really hard manually because I do everything the old-fashioned way. I do everything with sweat equity. And I use my arms as my lift as far as lifting hay. And so I go out and put in a really hard day's work. And to come home to a 90-degree house after being in 110-degree weather harvesting hay is not too fun. So what did I do to get around this? Well, this is something everyone needs to consider. The principle is that animals instinctively know that the ground is cooler than the air. And so you'll see a dog will find some shade and they'll dig a little hole, maybe two or three inches deep, to where they can lay down on the cool, moist earth. Animals instinctively know that if they go down a little bit, it gets cooler. There's many types of animals that will do this behavior. And also cows and other creatures like cows, which would be bison and and water buffalo and so forth, they will actually go stand in water. Generally, you don't think of cows going out and standing almost clear up to their backbone in water. But if they have a pond available to them on a hot day, they will use it because they seem to instinctively know about evaporative cooling. Now, getting back to the digging down to get cool. Now, how I stay cool is I have one room that I can keep consistently at 70 degrees. Even if it's 110 degrees out, I can keep one room at 70 degrees naturally. Now, the room is not in my house. I have an old root cellar, and the root cellar was put in here by my grandfather or great-grandfather. It's very old, and it goes down about six feet. And so, actually, I'm recording this show inside of my cellar because it's 95 degrees outside with a really hot south wind, and inside it's a cool, even 70 degrees. And I've used the thermometer to place it in different areas inside of the root cellar, and the floor stays at consistently 60 degrees. And I know that the dogs love it down here, because on a hot day, when we're out working cows, and they're out helping me move cows, and the dogs work very hard, they can't hardly drink enough water to stay cool. But they can't wait to get down and lay on this nice cool floor. And they'll spend the whole night on this floor. Now you'd think that 60 degrees might be a little uncomfortable for them, but they seem to thrive with it. And it was stuffy down here until I redesigned the way the airflow came through this old cellar. And I increased the airflow by about 50%. And also I reversed the airflow of how the air is supposed to flow through here. It has a vent on the top, and it's supposed to flow upwards through the vent. What I've done is I built a scoop 
that scoops the air, and it's the shape of a U, and I've got it out pretty wide, and then I have the top covered, and so whatever air goes into this scoop gets caught in there, and it forces it down through the hole on the top of the cellar. And so I always have a nice breeze in here. And then at night, when it gets down to 70 or 60 or even 50 once in a while, I have the nicest, coolest air that's coming through. And it's not really a breeze. It's more like puffs of wind. But they're really refreshing. And so how I beat the heat, naturally, is I go underground, and then I used forced air that's naturally forced in here. So nothing is electric. I'm not paying any bills to make it this cold. There's nothing electric. And so how does this pertain to you if you don't have a root cellar? Well, if your house has a basement, you can roughly do the same thing. You might have to make the room a little smaller. You might have to insulate the ceiling really well. But I'm sure there's an area in your basement that stays cooler than other areas, probably towards the center. If you do have an area like that, you can start developing it as a living quarters. Now, what I've done with my root cellar, I've actually made a little apartment down here. And so I have all the comforts of home. And what I really like about this is even though I'm underground about six feet, I still get really good shortwave reception on my shortwave radio, which I can't believe that I'm getting the reception I'm getting. And also I have wireless internet in my house. And the cellar is about 25 yards away from the house, but I'm still getting a very good wireless signal for my internet. And so I kind of have the best of both worlds here. I've got all of the conveniences of my house that's wireless that's actually reaching down into my cellar. And when I overheat, because I do overheat much more easy than I used to, I can come down here and turn on the fan and have 70 degree air blowing on me. And I could just lay down on the bed and I can chill out for 10 or 15 minutes, kind of catch my wind and, and then head back out and get to work. And today I've been kind of lazy. I've spent about two hours down here just because two days ago it was 107 degrees. And in that 107 degree weather, I loaded a couple hundred bales of hay by myself. And also, I planted a whole bunch of garden because I had a whole bunch of plants given to me. And I'm going to touch on that a little bit later on in the show for all the gardeners out there. And everyone this year needs to be a gardener, by the way. But I'm going to tell you about what happened to me. And maybe you can use my experience and go out and benefit from it. Broadcasting from the United States of America, you are listening to the Living Off-Grid Power and Information Show. So the first thing is if you have a basement, develop it. If you don't have a basement, maybe you have a friend that has a basement or a public building in your area that may have a basement. Because if the power goes out, everyone's going to be sweltering and everyone's going to be looking for relief. So you need to find some spots that are nice and cool right now 
before everyone else is out searching for the same spots. And try to find out areas that maybe are a little out of the way or maybe not as popular. And that way, if you do have to leave your property to find this cool spot, that you won't be competing with hundreds of other people, maybe just a few. But if you can dig a hole, if you own the property and you have access to a backhoe or you're good with a shovel or you have friends or neighbors or relatives that are good with shovels or backhoes, you can make yourself a pit. I know this is very drastic what I'm saying, but if you're in an area that's consistently over 100 degrees and the power goes out and your health will be in jeopardy, it's best to follow what the animals do and try to go underground. Now you can dig it straight down or you can dig it as a slant. If you're in a hilly region, you can dig into the side of a hill. Just make sure that if you dig into the side of a hill, make sure it doesn't collapse. And so what I would do is if you do dig into the side of a hill, put forms up or some wood bracing or better yet, a large culvert. If you can find a large culvert that's big enough to get inside and lay down in. Now I'm not talking about some place that's comfortable like what I've made because I have a root cellar. We're talking survival here. If you can come up with a four feet or larger diameter of a culvert and you can set that inside of a hill, you do have a cool spot. Now that will get stuffy because it'll be really hard to ventilate, but it'll be cooler. You'll be out of the 100 degree air. You'll probably be in 80 degree air, but 80 degrees in humidity is much better than 110 degrees in humidity. And so that's another way you can beat the heat. So look at your own situation very carefully and see if it's possible for you to go underground. If you can go ahead and build a root cellar, they're wonderful to own because they double as storm shelters and also fallout shelters. And so if you're worried about a nuclear war or you're worried about tornadoes, it's a natural if you have the time and the money is to go in and build a root cellar right now. That would be the ultimate thing to do. My root cellar has a vaulted ceiling. And at the very peak, it's about seven feet tall. And at the sides, it's roughly four and a half to five feet tall. I haven't measured it, but I would imagine it's close to five feet. It's 12 feet wide and 22 feet long. And so it's rather large. It's got a lot of shelving in it. And like I say, I've got it fixed up as an apartment. So I have a bed and refrigerator and source of water and a television and my internet and my portable recording studio. And so everything seems to work just fine. If you can come up with a backup that's remotely close to what I have, then not only are you going to survive, you'll thrive. Because as I told you before, I can easily keep this at 70 degrees all day long and all night long. And the warmest it's been down here, and it was before I changed the ventilation, was 78. It was 78 and stuffy, and I didn't like it. I wanted it cooler, and I wanted to get that stuffiness out. And so just by forcing some air through here, that really did help. Now, the top should have about two feet of earth over the top of the cement, and it doesn't have that. Matter of fact, both ends are exposed about three feet. 
And so that's what I'm going to be working on this next week is I'm going to be taking some fill dirt and I'm going to go ahead and pile more dirt on top of this. And then everything will be easy to keep very constant. So that's something you can consider is going underground. Now, if you don't own your property and you're just renting, it's going to be really hard for you to go underground on that property. And so you're going to have to rely on other things to do, such as a friend's property, perhaps. Perhaps you can offer your labor to help them build a root cellar or to help them build an area that's cooler. Because I'm really afraid that this summer's going to be one to remember as far as blackouts. Now, I could be wrong, and I hope that I am. But if I'm not wrong, there's going to be an awful lot of suffering. And let's face it, we're already suffering with illegitimate Joe, who's probably the poorest excuse for a human being I've ever seen, along with his son. And we're suffering because of all of their bad policies and all of the the horrible things they're doing to bring in the New World Order and cause this great reset. And we, the people, are kind of stuck out here. And as I said last show, we're going to have to outsmart these people and show them how resilient we are and how resourceful we are. Because I think they're hitting us with viruses that they're creating in labs and they're hitting us with inflated prices that are inflated on purpose. They're hitting us with empty shelves that they're making sure they're empty, like the baby formula. That could have been avoided so easy. But it seems like everything that the federal government is doing, or should I say the deep state that's behind the federal government, is to try to make us all give up. And they don't know me very well because I never give up, I never surrender. And I have a feeling that most of the people who would listen to this show are the same way. And so what we have to do is do like the Marines, adapt and overcome. And so that's what I'm talking about is adapting. Now, is it going to be fun if you have to put a culvert in the side of the hill and put a mattress in there so you can have a place of refuge where you can maybe get away from the heat? No, I don't think that sounds fun at all. I think it sounds like a lot of work and sounds like just a different kind of misery, to be honest with you. But it's not a life-threatening misery. And I think that 110-degree heat with 95% humidity, I think that is life-threatening to a lot of people, especially people that have medical issues or are elderly. And every year, there are stories that you hear about older people that are in their house that they lose their power, and they find them in their deceased because the heat got them. They died of heat stroke or, or something heat-related, like it caused a heart attack or a respiratory failure or something. And so this show is about finding ways around that, ways that we can compensate. So I guess that under some of these things I'm going to talk about, I'll put you in an uncomfortable situation, but it won't be a life-threatening situation. And so I'd rather be uncomfortable than to have my life in danger. And so some of my ideas are a little far-fetched. I will, I will grant you that. But I don't think it's out of the question that this rolling blackouts are planned. And I think they're going to be hitting areas that cannot stand having their air conditioning off. Now, when the air conditioning goes off, if the power goes off, 
for the most part, so is a lot of people's source of water. And I opened the show talking about the soldiers that put wet leaves in their hat and they wetted their clothes down and used evaporative cooling. Well, if there's no water, there's no way you're going to be able to do that. So before a crisis would hit, you need to come up with alternative water sources. Now you can store a whole bunch of water, but I don't think you can store enough water if things get really bad. While I do think it's a good idea to have some water stored back in reserve, I don't think you should count on that lasting through the whole crisis. So therefore, I think you need to be aware of all of the lakes and streams and rivers in your area, the ponds. Now, I'm not talking private ponds. I'm talking public. There's lots of people that have private ponds. And if you do have friends that have a private pond, you can visit with them about having that as a water source if the electricity goes off. But the whole key thing with that, if you're going to talk to people that have privately owned water sources, you need to do it now before there's a crisis where you can do it calm and cool and collected and you can work something out with them. But most people aren't going to have that luxury. They're going to have to go out and find a water source. And so you need to search out all of the water sources near you. And then you need to find the water sources that are deep. The little shallow stagnant ones are going to have a lot more problems getting the water pure to drink. And also, it's going to stay warm. So the more shallow it is, the warmer the water is going to be. But if you have a lake that has some depth to it, that would be a great place to go keep cool. And so if you can't dig a hole, if you can't go underground, the next best thing, in my opinion, is having the ability to go camping out near a lake that's got some depth. And once again, we're talking survival here. I know lots of people that have jobs that they don't think that they can do this. I'm not talking about normal times here. I'm talking about very abnormal times with power outages that are contrived and controlled by the deep state. I'm talking about them ruining our economy. And ultimately, I think they want us all eliminated. And so that's the spirit that I give you this show, is that if you are suffering and you need to save your family and you need to save yourself and it's a life or death situation, that's what I'm talking about, then you need the ability to be very fluid and very mobile and very flexible. And I know lots of people have RVs and RVs are just fine, but they do take gasoline. And if we don't have any power, the pumps aren't going to work. And so I think the next best thing to having a hole in the ground would be to have a very lightweight tent that's not going to take up hardly any room. Because if gasoline and diesel are limited, your fuel is going to have to get you where you're going. And you can't be bogged down with a large camper, something that's going to take a whole bunch of gas. And so I would concentrate most on food, water, medicine, and things like that. And my secondary thing would be a place to lay my head. Now you can get a nice lightweight tent, something you can set up real easy, not really big, big enough that can keep you as comfortable as possible. But I would concentrate on food and water and the other things, the necessities of life. 
And then I would have a place all picked out where you can go and pitch your tent and have your supplies if we run out of power and the heat is so hot that you're in trouble. Now know this. If this scenario does happen, there's going to be thieves. There are going to be people that are going to come and try to take what you have as far as supplies. And so I am talking an Armageddon type of a thing here. But if you're worried about all of the problems at once, then you're going to fail. And so what you need to do is come up with a solid plan. And this show is about beating the heat. This show is about not having a heat stroke or having the heat take your health away. And so there's other issues that will arise from some of the things that I'm saying. And I do realize that. But we're going to have to treat this like an elephant. One bite at a time is how we're going to have to eat it. Because the deep state, because this is very well planned for a lot of years, and they're going to try to cut us off at every pass. And so no, there's going to be roadblocks and problems no matter what you do. But if you can solve one problem and have it solved, then you can turn your attention to solving the next issue. And this issue, we're solving being able to beat the heat. And again, if you could find a place to camp beside a nice, cool, deep lake, and if you can find a place to pitch your tent where the prevailing winds come off the lake, then you're going to be just fine. And in the heat of the day, if you have to, you can just jump in the lake and cool down that way. That way the heat is not going to get you. But I do know this. We have to be inventive and we have to be very open-minded. Because people who would listen to what I'm saying with a closed mind and say, well, this guy is just nuts. I'm not going to go pitch a tent by a lake. Well, in normal circumstances, in normal times, I would agree with that sentiment that there's no way that you were going to go out and buy a little tent and take your survival stash and go find a place to pitch the tent. I do get that. But I'm talking about now. We live in very unstable times. We live in times that are not normal. And to try to treat them like they are normal and try to do things business as usual, which I've got to say, I envy some of the people that are let's say ostriches, they stick their head in the sand and they don't seem to notice any of the inflation or anything else, I kind of envy them because they say ignorance is bliss. And it seems like these people just skate through life just without a care. But I do think they're going to hit a wall and they're going to crash sooner than later. And so I think we need to stay in reality. And the reality that I see that right now We're in uncharted waters, and so we have to think outside the box and do what it takes to get us through this mess. And on the other side of the break, I'll come back with more suggestions. If you enjoy the Living Off-Grid Powered Information Show, I would ask that you consider donating to this show to help cover expenses, because we don't get paid here. This is all done by donations. And we do not take anything online as far as PayPal or any of that because of all the censorship. Not that they have shut us off. It's just I'm not going to give them the opportunity. So we're going to do it the old-fashioned way, by mail, check, money order, or if you want to put cash in a secure envelope, we would appreciate any donation. 
any size. Just send all your correspondence to Thunderbolt West Media, P.O. Box 163, Hershey, Nebraska, 69143. That's Thunderbolt West Media, P.O. Box 163, Hershey, Nebraska, 69143, and your support is greatly appreciated. This next song was recorded in 1902 by the Edison Military Band. America, played by the Edison Military Band. Replace fear with faith. Replace pessimism with hope. Replace despair with determination. And don't be afraid to rely on God and step out on the sea. Show. I'm your host, Jim Calhoun, and I really appreciate you tuning in. Well, I've been talking about how to beat the heat without electricity. And I truly do think that the possibility of the globalists, the elitists, the people that are trying to play God, and the people who are trying to, let's say, depopulate the planet, they really don't care how they do it, whether they do it by us suffocating in sweltering heat or starving to death or nuclear war or a or a virus that they create in a lab and then they unleash it upon the population i think we need to outthink these people and i think we can because they underestimate the intelligence of we the people and when i say we the people i mean the common people on the entire planet and it seems to me that these people will stop at nothing, these corrupt politicians and deep staters, 
They'll stop at nothing in depopulating the planet. They don't care whether a heat wave kills us or a virus that they concoct in a lab and then they unleash it upon the population or a phony vaccine that actually kills people. And a little side note is I watched Mike Adams, the health ranger, as he did an experiment on InfoWars. And he was showing this substance that looked like rubber bands that embalmers have been sending to Mike Adams for him to study and look at. And even if you don't like Alex Jones or InfoWars, I think you really need to go to band.video.com and take a look at what they're pulling out of people's veins after they die. It's absolutely sickening. And I have no doubt that they're telling the truth on this. Of course, that's a conspiracy theory. But I've decided that being called a conspiracy theorist is actually a compliment. Because in the long run, most of these conspiracies turn out to be true. And since I've been broadcasting, I realize that the people that call you a conspiracy theorist are actually part of the problem. They're part of the cover-up. They're trying to shame you into not telling what you know or what you suspect. And so they try to belittle you and call you a conspiracy theorist, as in, you're crazy or you're nuts. Well, I'll wear that with pride that some people think I'm a conspiracy theorist. Because I know in the long run, I'm going to be vindicated. But anyway, you need to check out that video and take a look at what they're pulling out of these poor deceased people that were deceived into taking this death jab. But the point is, is I don't think that these elitists care how they do us in. And they've got the population so addicted to things, as in gadgets and electronics and air conditioning, that they're counting on massive civil unrest if the power goes out, or death because of heat stroke and other heat-related things. So I really think we need to start planning on what if. Now, I have to keep referencing myself, because that is, of course, my point of reference. But I wouldn't have any trouble without electricity, and if I wasn't down in my root cellar enjoying the 70-degree temperatures, I could still survive. Now, I know I can because, first of all, I survived for years that way, and also I work out in the sun. And when I tell people that I have a farming operation and that I harvest hay, the first thing they think about is a great big old tractor with air conditioning, having modern equipment, all air-conditioned and computerized, and nothing could be further from the truth. None of my tractors have cabs, and so I'm out in the sun and the wind and the bugs and the dust and the dirt. And so, speaking for myself, I'm pretty tough as far as being able to handle the heat, because I handle the heat all the time. But I do know that if I take a week or so off, and I spend that time in air-conditioned room, it takes me about another two weeks to get reacclimated. So I do understand that people that don't go out and do physical labor out in the heat, they're going to have a pretty hard time dealing with the heat. Other ways you can deal with the heat are time-tested, and most people know about them. But I'm going to mention them right here because it is in our toolbox of things that we can do to beat the heat. 
Just like the soldiers back in the Civil War would put wet leaves in their caps, we can also wear a wet hat. Get a cap or a cloth hat and keep it damp, and dampen it often. Another tried and true method is to put a towel around your neck, nice cold water, and wrap it around your neck and keep the back of your neck cool. Now you're going to have to reapply this cold water fairly often because your neck has an awful lot of blood flow, and so it won't take very long before the towel will start getting warm, and once it reaches pretty much body temperature, it loses its effectiveness. And so you want to keep it cooler than body temperature. And I'm going to take this time right now to say that when you're applying this cold water, you're going to want to dab it on first and acclimate your body to the cold water. Because if you just pour cold water over the top of you or on your clothes, you might give your system quite a shock. And some people just cannot handle that kind of a shock. Their system just can't do it. I know that I have issues with real cold water that's poured over me. It does give my system a noticeable shock. And so you have to really take care in doing anything health-wise. You always have to use common sense. Another area that you can keep cool is your torso. And, of course, the best way to do that is in a pool of water. And if we lose our electricity and you don't have any way to have water to fill the bathtub, then you're going to have to rely on natural water sources such as lakes and rivers. And another place to keep cool is your growing area and your thighs because you have an awful lot of heat in that part of your body. And so if you concentrate on the lower part of your body with your thighs and the back of your neck and the top of your head, those are the three biggies. And also you can put cool towels on the small of your back. But the small of the back is probably the least effective because it's the most effective place to put warm compresses to help a backache and to help relieve stress. And so cold water doesn't feel really good on the small of your back, but it does cool you off a little bit. And so what we have to do is personally assess our health and our situation and come up with a game plan. Now, I just heard today on another talk show, I was listening to Beth Ann with CSC Talk Radio, and she mentioned the fact that in central Missouri, they're predicting brownouts. And anyone who's been in Missouri in the summer knows just how hot and humid Missouri is. If you're elderly and you're in a new house, the type of house that really wasn't built to have airflow like the old houses, you could be in serious trouble. And so this show is all about trying to keep people safe and keep people as comfortable as possible. But also, I'm going to revisit my idea real quick about the going underground. Now, it might cost quite a bit to rent a backhoe and to build your forms and to pour your cement. I understand that, you know, there's a lot of cost involved, a lot of labor, a lot of planning. And also, some areas do not allow root cellars. So you might live in a controlled type of a place like a homeowner's association, or you might have some city ordinances against having a root cellar. So the first thing you have to do is find out the legalities. But to have a structure on your property that has three or four different uses, and all of the uses will save you money, 
Use one is use it as a root cellar to store garden vegetables. And if you don't have a garden, you can always go to farmer's markets or find people that do have gardens and offer your cellar as a place for them to store some food on a shares basis. Maybe you can get 10% or 15% of the produce for allowing them to use your root cellar. There's always ways to make a little money or to come out on top if you just put your head around it. And so the original use for root cellar was food storage. So you have that. You also have the benefit of having a storm shelter that if you have tornadoes in your area, then you're safe. You have a safe spot. And also in this climate of just absolute insanity, with the threat of nuclear war probably more real than any time in the history of the world, minus the two bombs that we dropped in Japan in World War II, you have a place to go for fallout. And so that's number three. And number four, you can use yours, like I'm using mine right now, as a place to go to keep cool, because again, I have no air conditioning. But yet I do in this one room. Now, what does it cost to air condition a room? It costs quite a bit of money. And so what I'm getting at is that your root cellar can pay for itself just as an air conditioned room alone. If your air conditioning goes out or you can't afford to run it, you can turn it off and still have a place to go that's relatively cool. And so I really do think that having an air-conditioned room that's naturally cooled is going to save you money. Because I would imagine the size of this root cellar that I have, if I would put the electricity to it and be on grid, it would probably cost me several dollars a day to keep this cool. And then again in the winter, if you lose power and you don't have any way to heat your home, well, your root cellar is not going to really get any colder than about 50 degrees. And 50 degrees is very comfortable as compared to 10 below or something. In the winter, if you lose power in a blizzard or if something happens, like if they have brownouts in the winter, and we really don't know what's coming down the pike. And so you also have the ability to have that as a shelter in the winter. So lots of good things can happen if you happen to have a root cellar. Now, if you're one of those that has a root cellar that hasn't been used in a long time, and the shelves in it are rotted out, and there's lots of dirt and things on the floor, and it's mildewy and musty, they're real easy to bring back. All you have to do is clean it out real good. And then to get rid of the mildew and some of the mold that might be down there, I'd go in with some bleach. I'd power wash it, and then I'd bleach it and let it dry. And I'd keep it entirely open for about a week and get all the moisture out that you can. And then if you have walls that will allow you to paint, you could paint with some cement paint or some kills or something if you want to. But I don't recommend you putting carpet or anything on the floor of a root cellar because, because the floors tend to get damp at times. It depends on your water table and the amount of rain. So I would keep the floor as is, as a cement floor. And some of the older root cellars I've seen have a dirt floor. Now, the dirt floor will work, but I do recommend that you go ahead and pour concrete. If it is a dirt floor, go ahead and dig down six to eight inches and reinforce it with rebar and do it right. And also, you might want to dig a 
a five to ten foot hole straight down and fill it with rocks and then make a French drain in the floor of your root cellar. But if you do that, have a way to shut it off. Put a simple valve at the top of your drain, something you can get to real easy. And that way, if the water table comes up, then it'll keep the water from coming up through your drain. So I would ask a contractor or someone in your area who is familiar with building root cellars in your area to find out if that would be a good idea. Because in some places it would be a good idea, in other places that would be a horrible idea. And so me not knowing your situation, I'm just going to give it to you as a suggestion. But ultimately, you're going to have to do your research to find out if that works for you. Now, I mentioned this in an earlier show, but if you have an older house, your older house being built in the 1940s or earlier, generally speaking, those houses were built with the idea of opening windows to cool it off. And especially houses from about 1915 to 1925 seem to have an awful lot of windows. Now, they're harder to cool and harder to heat, but There's no equal to these old houses if you're going to naturally cool your house with just breezes blowing through the window. And then start experimenting with airflow through your house. Because chances are, if you have an old house, it was designed with airflow in mind. And it doesn't take long to figure out the airflow patterns in your house. Now, if you do have a newer house that's really not built for airflow, well, you're going to have to do a lot of trial and error and find out exactly what room can have airflow and how to do it. And so have these plans in mind. If you have water that you can put on the back of your neck and on your thighs, and you have a series of windows that you can open to assure airflow and you stay in the shade, you may be very uncomfortable, but you'll survive. But there's one thing that I think is a scientific fact. Now, I'm not a scientist, but I would be willing to bet that this can be backed up with all sorts of medical science. When you're hot and overheated and stressed, you probably don't think as clear as if you were in a nice cool environment to where you weren't stressed. And so if you wake up in the morning and you have no power, and it's going to be 110 that day, and they say that the power is going to be out for a week, that's not the time to make your plans because you'll make your plans under stress. And your plans won't be as good as if you would take time right now before there's any emergency, to go ahead and make plans. Now, we plan for fires in our house. Some people have fire drills and smoke alarms and things like that. So we need to plan for other things that seem to be on the horizon. And they're warning us over and over about these brownouts and blackouts. And it is summer. Even in Canada, in places, it could get horribly hot. And so what we have to do is plan ahead. Just prepare, and just like you're storing food back for an emergency, I think you need to be prepared to survive a very hot house in 100-degree weather with no electricity. So I hope I've given you some ideas of how to beat the heat without electricity. And so it's up to you to prepare, and preparation is the key. Now I have a couple other things I want to talk about briefly. The first of the two things I want to touch on is the fact that it's now admitted by the government of Spain that they're spraying chemicals in the air. And they're saying that they're spraying the chemicals to stop global warming and also to 
prevent coronavirus, which was interesting. And they also admitted they're putting some sort of insecticide inside these concoctions that they're spraying. What they're doing is they're poisoning all of the life on Earth because we're breathing this, all the animals are, and a lot of the small birds and insects are dying. I have four anecdotal things I want to touch on that will point out exactly what's happening. Remember a few years ago when all the bees started to die? Well, I remember that too. And I was a beekeeper at that time, and I lost all of my colonies. I had about 30 very healthy colonies one day, the next day they were all dead. And they called that sudden colony collapse syndrome. And we were told several different reasons why it happened, and none of them really made sense. But now I suspect that what they really were doing were spraying, and they got a little bit heavy with the insecticide, and they killed a lot of bees. So I think the chemtrails killed the bees. That's my opinion. I can't prove it, but I really do think so. Especially after the government of Spain has admitted that they're spraying insecticide in the air. Number two is I've noticed more often than not on the ant mounds here on the ranch, there's vast numbers of dead ants all along the top of the ant mound. And it's not just one colony. It's just colony after colony. So I do believe that that's part of killing off all of the carbon-based life forms on this earth. And that's what they're wanting to have is zero carbon. And also it's poisoning the ground. And there's all sorts of scientific tests that they have done to the soil in many places to prove all of the heavy substances that they're spraying. They have to come down. And they come down right on the ground and they're poisoning our ground. And the last two anecdotal evidences I'm going to give are extremely strong. One of them is my observation, and the other one is from Alex Jones, who had the exact same observation. I live along the river, and as you drive in the summer, you seem to squash thousands of bugs on your windshield. And so every time you go get fuel, you have to clean your windshield and clean the dead bugs off. Well, here we are in the middle of June, and I have not once had to clean my windshield off because of bugs. And then I was listening to Alex Jones talk about driving across Texas from Austin to his family's ranch in East Texas, and he claimed that usually, on a normal basis, on that trip he'd have to stop three or four times to get the dead bugs off his windshield. And he said that he drove all the way from Austin all the way to their family ranch, and he did not have to stop once to get dead bugs off his windshield. And there's a pattern here, I see it. And so something's up, and we need to keep our eyes on it. The last thing I want to touch about this show is gardening. I was at the right place at the right time, and there was a garden center that was getting ready for end of season. And what I mean by end of season is end of planting season. It's where they take all of their plants they haven't sold, and they have to deal with them. Well, the way most of them deal with them is they quit watering them, then they throw them out. And I was at the right place at the right time, and they asked me if I wanted any plants. They were just going to take them to the dump. And so I told them I would take a dozen or so, and they said, oh, no, take more than that, because they're all just going to go to waste. Just plant what you can. So I loaded up my car, and I ended up with over 300 plants, and over 100 of them were tomato plants. So I'm going to be swimming in tomatoes. It's going to be real hard to process them all. 
and I got well over a hundred pepper plants. And it took me a couple of days to get them all planted, but I didn't lose any of them. They're all in great shape. And I got several thousand dollars worth of plants for free. So if you have a garden center in your area, you might want to go ask the management about what they're going to do with their plants at end of season. Now, I know some of the places farther south, that's already happened, so you probably won't have any chance to do that this year. But that's something you need to keep in mind for next year. But for those of you farther north, you have probably three or four days or a week, not very much time, to get busy and contact all of your garden centers and find out what they're going to do with their plants. And if they're going to throw them away, ask if they'll donate them to you. And if you haven't planted a garden yet and you were planning on doing so, that's a great way to have an instant garden. Because I had a good-sized garden anyway, now I have an extra huge garden. And so that's a good way to ensure that you're going to have some food. Well, I hope that you've got something from this show today. I really enjoy bringing these shows to you. And if you like what you hear and want to help support the Living Off-Grid Power and Information Show, I would really appreciate it. And I do want to say a special thank you to those who are contributing. And it's because of you that this show is available. And if you'd like to contribute, I take checks, money orders, and cash in a secure envelope. And you would write the check to Thunderbolt West Media, Thunderbolt West Media, P.O. Box 163, P.O. Box 163, Hershey, Nebraska, Hershey, Nebraska, and the zip code is 69143. And all of your donations are extremely appreciated. And if you'd like to send me an email, my email address is jim at offgridliving.com. That's jim at offgridliving.com. I'd love to hear from you. And I want you to check out my website, which is livingoffgridshow.wixsite.com forward slash L-O-G show. Livingoffgridshow.wixsite.com w-i-x-s-i-t-e dot com forward slash l-o-g show well it looks like i'm out of time for this episode i do appreciate you listening and so please get prepared for life without power i think it's coming sooner than later it might not happen everywhere but if we have rolling blackouts or rolling brownouts chances are you're going to be caught up in some of that madness so everyone stay safe stay vigilant Keep your powder dry, but most of all, replace fear with faith. This is Jim Calhoun with the Living Off Grid Power and Information Show. Thank you for listening to Thunderbolt West Media.